Good day, everybody. My name is Jeff Hendler, and welcome to a special date and time for our program, Men, Women, and Other Truths, Conversations about Sex, Power, and Intimacy. Our guest today is a returning guest. He was with our show back in February of this year. His name is Ben atherton Zeman, and our topic today, 23 Days in India to End Violence Against Women. So we're going to welcome Ben in just a moment, and I want to thank everybody for listening in. I know it's morning for most of you over here in North and South America and across the pond afternoon and evening, so welcome to all of you. And uh, you're invited to join us live on the air for a live chat. All you need to do is just scroll down the page when you're in the Blog Talk Radio website, open the chat box, and you can log in with your Facebook or Blog Talk Radio account. And if you want to listen by phone... Our phone number is 310-982-4166. Let me repeat that, 310-982-4166. If you have a question or comment for Ben, please press 1 at the prompt, and you'll, you'll let us know that you want to speak with us. Linda is our producer today, and she's going to take your call and get you ready to speak to us. All right, so let's bring in Ben, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Ben just before he comes on. He identifies himself as a recovering sexist, believes that every man must challenge violence and sexism in the world and in themselves. Ben is a spokesperson for the National Organization for Men Against Sexism, and you can find that website at www.nomas.org. He's a public speaker on issues of violence prevention and has traveled all over the United States, Canada, and numerous countries overseas. For the past 17 years, Ben's worked as a prevention educator for rape crisis centers, domestic violence programs, and state coalitions. He's also an advisory board member for the White Ribbon Campaign in the United Kingdom. Ben has toured India just recently, and of course that's why he's on the show today, to share his insights with us. And he toured as a representative of the United States State Department Speakers Bureau. Ben's joining us today from Maynard, Massachusetts. And Ben, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jeff. So Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure. So excited to hear about your your adventures, and I've uh, I've been tracking you on Facebook ever since we had you on the show back in February, and the work that you're doing is just absolutely inspirational. So very excited for what you got to share with us today. Well, it's, it was an exciting trip. I was I was honored that the State Department wanted to bring me there, and I've made a lot of new friends. And speaking of the voice of leadership, met a lot of inspiring. Uh, leaders, I was telling you and Linda just before we got on, uh, and thanks for agreeing to the new times so that some of these amazing young leaders from India and Nepal can listen in. Yeah, we really want to make this, we already know it's kind of a small world, and we want to make this even smaller, bring everybody into the game, so to speak, of of what you're up to in this world, what they're up to, and, and how do we keep pushing forward and, and just make it a, a you know a safer and more exciting world to live in, more more open and committed and passionate. And, you know, Ben, maybe we can just start with probably the most serious question of all is, I, I believe this was your first trip to India, correct? It was. Yeah, so how was the food, most important? <laughs> the food was outstanding. Um, momos come to mind uh, as my new favorite food when I was in Kathmandu, Nepal. Um, there were three... Uh, uh, young women, Kritika, Kripa, and Anuja, who introduced me to uh, many more important things in terms of gender-based violence. Uh, but Ms. Kritika introduced me to Momos, and so did uh, their friend Monica, and I've never recovered. They're these, they're these delicious little dumplings, and um, yeah, it's, if, if, if there were not more important reasons to go back, I would go back just for the food. <laughs> And you are going to be going back, are you not? I am. I'm so excited. Uh, Dr. Abhijit Das uh, in Delhi, who is the coordinator of Men Engage Delhi, uh, is having is hosting the second international conference for Men Engage. The first one was in Rio de Janeiro in 2009, and I was invited to go then, but couldn't couldn't um, couldn't swing the flight. Um, but Dr. Das's organization is paying for me to come back, so I'll be back in just three weeks in Delhi, and I'm hoping that the State Department is going to help me get to Kathmandu as well. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. So what was the inspiration for this trip? I mean, obviously, it's a compliment to the work that you've been doing, but who, who really was calling for it? I mean, you know, we hear so much in North American media about what we call really the rape culture in India, and perhaps that's not even a fair statement, but it's what we keep hearing. So who in well, India think, is leading the charge yeah. on this? Uh, there are um, what we would call nonprofit uh, activist organizations, what in India uh, they call NGOs, non-governmental organizations, uh, feminist women and men who are speaking out uh, against rape and sexual violence and speaking out against uh, rape culture um, and uh, speaking for gender equity. So what brought me there specifically was the State Department has the Speakers Bureau, which I was aware of because of couple of my friends, Ann O'Dell and Lydia Walker, are on the Speakers Bureau. So they uh, told me about, and they're experts on domestic violence prevention and many other things. They were asked to go to, I think, Kazakhstan um, years ago. So I knew about this. Uh, someone from the State Department Speakers Bureau saw me perform uh, a play. Some, some of your listeners know that I perform a one-man play called Voices of Men, uh, that uses humor and celebrity male voice impressions to educate about gender-based violence. So they saw me perform this scene with Kermit the Frog and Elmo at a uh, conference, and they liked they liked it, and they said I should join their speakers bureau. I'm so curious about the roles that you play in, in your show. I mean, you, you do Rocky Balboa. Um, you do, as you say, Kermit the Frog. There's Austin Powers, I believe, you do as well. How does that translate across the pond into a different culture? <laughs> uh, depends on the audience. Um, I had one uh, one really nice audience in Coimbatore, India, of about uh, 700 students uh, at the at the GRD College, and uh, they seemed to like it. They, uh, uh, actually, the room filled up. The 700 person auditorium filled up uh, half hour before we were scheduled to begin. And, so they had to have these overflow rooms where uh it was broadcast on these big screens it was uh it was quite humbling on my part that people wanted to see that and so so people laughed and people uh clapped and stuff so they, and a lot of folks came up afterwards to uh come come talk to me and take selfies with me uh even <laughs> if someone's english isn't that good the one of the words one of the few words they know is the word selfie <laughs> Uh, the selfie culture is international. It's, it's, it's one very language, much so. isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Then, uh, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that for you and and you know, I go back and look at all the years in which you've been doing this type of work and and the, the lives that you've changed. And you're now saying this was a life-altering experience for you. Well, it was, and 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 frankly, my life has been changed by all along i'm 48 years old it's been changed all along uh by feminist women by women who work to stop uh gender violence uh including uh suparna who i uh who i you and suparna interviewed me uh so it's mm -hmm. women like uh suparna and miss linda your producer who have inspired me and specifically survivors of violence um when i was in college my then-girlfriend shared with me that she had been a uh, victim of violence by a previous partner, and uh, uh, it really upset me, and I uh, began learning more about violence against women, listening to more and more women and young women about not just what it was like for them to be victims of violence, but what it was just like to be female on campus, to be flirted with when you didn't want to be, to be paid less than men to be not listened to in class maybe as much as men and uh you know it just made me mad <laughs> and mm -hmm. and they were like well don't tell me you're mad you know don't tell us you're mad we already are mad um do something about it and in particular go talk to other men about this because at the time you know the mid 80s there was very few men who were speaking out against uh uh gender-based violence and for gender equality uh now Fortunately, that is changing, and I'm proud and pleased to become, to, I mean, to be part of this growing movement, this growing multiracial, multicultural uh, movement uh, in different countries of men who are not just speaking out against violence in the world, but challenging 
our own sexist attitudes and male privilege in ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's a, an interesting, interesting place to visit is what what are we feeling as men? So I, I'm looking back to your experience as I'm assuming a, a late teenager, early 20s when you were in college, yep. and your girlfriend comes to tell you that she's been a victim of, of assault. And, right. you know, what's going on in your mind besides just the anger, but is there anger, you know, directed at... At where? And, and where are you in your own mind about this and, and how comfortable you are with things at this age? Well, I think, frankly, I, at, at, the, at first I unwittingly blamed the victim. And, you know, I, I remember su- suggesting some things to women of, like, what they can do to prevent street harassment, to uh, work to, to, to earn the same as men and things like that. And, um, you know, just trying to be helpful and again was was uh educated by by these folks that like well you know we've been we already know some great techniques for uh self defense but what we really need to be doing is not asking uh you know what can women do differently to avoid being victims of violence and sexism but um what can men do to work to create a world and what can we all do to create a world where women are listened to women are respected women are paid equally uh and i started to learn how connected those daily acts of sexism those daily indignities uh lately they're called microaggressions how they help to create a culture where you know uh violence against women is under is forgiven is belittled is uh is excused and that really you can't have a man hitting a woman a man raping a woman a man murdering a woman without a culture that favors our gender jeff over linda's and whites over people of color heterosexuals over gobtq folks and that uh that learning that lesson was reinforced when I was in India. Women and girls across India really said, "Yeah, this is this is very connected." And the connection seems very strong and international at this point. I know you had mentioned to me that you were abroad, you were in India at the time, really of everything happening in the United States around the National Football League and Ray Rice and so forth. Yes. And there is this piece that that I had read recently around when do men, or, or it's important for men to acknowledge the inner Ray Rice within them? And that really just sat with me and struck me as, yes, we need to be completely honest with ourselves about all of these things. When you start to talk about gender equality and you start to talk about equal pay, not even to the point of the violence and, and anything else, just in those areas. So it really is an international theme, isn't it? It is, and I, I, I like your thinking, Jeff, or the, what's the Ray Rice in all of us i mean um uh these these amazing activists in haven at, at haven in michigan it's a domestic violence and sexual violence program have made a pyramid where at the top of the pyramid the, the tip is uh you know murder and then under it is physical violence against women and stuff like that but at the bottom of that pyramid it's resting on this base of these daily indignities the objectification of women paying women less as you said and you know very few men, most men, I dare say, do not rape, certainly do not murder women, but I think all of us have done some of the stuff on the bottom. I know I have. I'm embarrassed about mm-hmm. it, and I'm trying to change that. Uh, that that kind of change is a constant struggle of uh, self-examination and also being confronted by my friends who are both women and men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and thank you for for being that open and vulnerable about it because that is really where we want to get to the heart of is let's examine these inner places that we've been sometimes not wanting to go yeah. there again but just to examine them and say yeah we we can learn from it i'm it curious is, is, yeah it, it, it is an open and a vulnerable place and it's it's no fun frankly i'd rather be demonstrating against sexism in the world than actually <laughs> acknowledging the the hurt that i've caused uh, but do you know what's harder than that is being the victims of that violence, <laughs> even the daily uh, indignities. Uh, so I think uh, I, I want to challenge your other male listeners to uh, do what you and I are trying to do. And you know, and if you're if you're told, hey, 
this is uh, this thing you did instead of saying getting defensive and saying, oh, you know, I didn't mean to do that. Um, pay attention to the effect of what you did, not necessarily your intent, because of course our intent is good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I just want to make a mention here. Linda has shared with us. Thank you, Linda, for sharing the uh, the pyramid that you were mentioning, Ben. She's got a link, so if you're logged into the chat, you can see that link. For those of you not logged in, um, let me just quickly give you, uh, I think the best thing to do is, uh, she's fast, and I love it. The best thing to do is probably Google Get the Facts Violence Pyramid. I think that's probably the, the easiest way for me to share that with people at this moment. And you know, we had a chatter comment, Ben, as you were talking about the the, vic- the blaming of the victim, which you mentioned you had done, you know, when your girlfriend had this happen to her, violence against her in, in college days. So, you know, again, this chatter saying, can't believe we're still in this place of blaming the victim. And right. specifically, what, what did you, have you seen in India that may be the same or different than, let's say, the experiences here in Canada or the U.S.? Well, people tell uh, girls and women. Uh, so, so one of the things that's both similar and different in terms of what girls and women in India told me about, and in Nepal as well, is street harassment. Is uh, harassment in public spaces and sort of the men's claiming in public spaces away from women. And so, a lot of uh, a lot of the focus is okay. Girls and women shouldn't go out at night. There should they should sometimes literally they should have a curfew. They should wear a uniform, shouldn't wear certain things. They shouldn't go on public transportation. Well, the economic reality is some folks, that's all you can afford is public transportation. And what I what I learned from women and from girls is you get on these little sort of rideshare buses and uh, it's it's very crowded. I was on them and it was very crowded. And so when somebody steps up to get out, then men sometimes will take the opportunity to pinch her, to pull her hair, to say uh, harassing things. And then again, the focus is on, well, she shouldn't have been there at that time. Uh, We even had a a minister in India say uh, the way to stop rape is to have girls dress more modestly. And there was this large outcry, of course, from the feminist movement in India, similar to the outcry in the United States when uh, the police officer in Toronto said that girls shouldn't dress slutty and that, that that's what's going to stop rape is girls girls shouldn't dress like sluts and we had the mm-hmm. slut walks the amazing slut walks um so in India the 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 outcry from women and men was you know we got to we have to stop saying girls need to dress modestly we have to start saying that boys and men should not rape we have to start saying what can we do as a culture all genders to work to make public spaces safe and welcoming for girls and women. And you mentioned the government influence or the minister making those comments. What was your experience within India around support from public, uh, you know, from elected officials and those those in authority? Well, in India, they just had an election, and the BJP uh, had had won the and the and the prime minister had given his uh independence day speech the day that india uh gained independence from colonial britain it's a large uh holiday in india i was actually in nepal <laughs> on that day but he gave a speech where he basically contradicted the minister where he said we need to stop just focusing on telling girls what to do but we need to i think he said uh dis- discipline our boys more um and I appreciated that, though um, I, I, <laughs> as often as I can, as often as I remember to do so, uh, listen to and take leadership from women who are doing this work in India. So I was I was also interested in what they had to say. Many of them expressed some optimism at the Prime Minister's statements, but really wanted his actions to speak as loudly as his words. And I think that's a little slower to come along. So there are leaders... Mm-hmm in the government and in, you know, I met this fantastic judge uh, in Nepal who uh, is is really reducing the wait times for people who are uh, waiting. Um, let's see. Uh, judge uh, Technarayan Kunwar in Lalitpur District Court in Lalitpur, Lalitpur Nepal, uh, which is a part of Kathmandu, I think. He has reduced the waiting times for people 
seeking justice from the criminal justice system for gender-based violence from a year's worth of waiting to just a couple of months or even immediate. And what's the impact there? I mean, I'm assuming obviously there's a positive impact, but what's the real impact that's happening in terms of people maybe being able to move on with their lives or get closure or get justice for that matter? Well, yeah. I mean, if if someone's if a victim of violence is waiting years to go through the court system, they're going to, you know, have their lives put on hold for years. I met a 21 year old girl south of um, uh, uh, Calcutta that uh, had been raped by her, her um, landlord's son when she was 13 years old. Uh, the village found out about the rape by the fact that he got her pregnant, and they got together. Uh, again, this is a little outside the city. The village got together and decided his punishment would be to marry her. Well, um, as you can probably imagine, he was a terrible husband when she finally uh, left him with the help of this nonprofit organization um, and filed charges against him. She's still waiting. I mean, she's a 21-year-old girl with a 7-year-old son, uh, and if it weren't for this non-government organization, she would be having a much harder time of it. Um, folks tend to expect the criminal justice system to be part of the problem, not part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And that really is an expectation that it feels like it's on a broader scale. There's a lot of low expectations for what public officials and, and the law will do for us in India, let's say. And are you seeing people kind of being complacent around it, or, or complacent maybe not the right word, but beaten down somewhat? So that was the sense I got. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was the sense I got. I think there's a, there's as with this country, there's a reluctance to pursue criminal justice remedies, especially for sexual violence. Whereas in this com- in this country, sometimes a, a woman will get uh, blamed or a girl will get blamed. Um, uh, if she says I was raped, they will say, well, what were you wearing or were you drinking alcohol? And that exists as well. Um, but to a larger extent, I think, than in the United States, um, there exists this uh, problem where the uh, police officers themselves will be committing the violence, will be committing the rapes. And, of course, that does happen here as well. We've seen, uh, we've seen evidence on uh, YouTube of, of police brutality. But, mm-hmm. again, as in the United States, there are many police officers, many prosecutors many uh, members of the criminal justice system who are doing fantastic things. And then what happens in India is when that, when that, that uh, person who's doing positive things within the police uh, system, um, once they start doing positive things, they're transferred. <laughs> is the, that's, the, that's the sort of a resignation uh, statement that I heard a couple of times, especially, again, in Calcutta, there was a, young woman who was ra- who was gang raped by uh, these men right near where I was staying on the street that I walked on every day during the few days I was in Calcutta and mm-hmm. uh a lot of the folks asked well what was she doing getting in the car with them but a lot more were saying yeah what why were they raping her and how's this case going to be handled and the, the case was handled as I recall quite well by this assistant uh deputy chief who then was transferred mm. So still a long way to go, and as you mentioned, you know, we're seeing some of the same things here in this side of the pond, so we don't want to come to it from any kind of a, a place of superiority or smugness, obviously. But certainly right, exactly. there's um, very big structural issues in that, uh, in, the, in those challenges. Um, then let's talk about your reception in India. I mean, ar- upon arriving there, what did you face in terms of those that were really behind you and supporting you, and did you face anything else, any other challenges? Well, just just to, to talk about and, uh, the, uh, the reception, um, the folks who work for the State Department in the consulates and the embassies, those are the ones who are my hosts. And how this, this uh, Speakers Bureau works is um, if part of their strategic plan includes addressing gender-based violence in partnership with local NGOs, then they uh, sometimes apply for and receive help in the form of Speakers Bureau. So 
uh, I just want to say these staff people were amazing. I mean, they they have a, they get a lot of the of us speakers, <laughs> and so I was sometimes one among many speakers. But even though that was the case, um, I was I was greeted I was greeted like an old friend, not like a, a work colleague. And these folks worked long days, driving me to gig after gig after gig, uh, sometimes flying places with me. And you know, missing their families for a couple of nights while we while we did this work, and then we would get to the hosts where they had set up these these talks or these performances, and then the the hosts. So my hosts at the State Department were lia- liaising, if you will, with the hosts at the colleges and the high schools. We'd get to the colleges and the high schools, and they'd have huge banners with my face on it. I was treated like a rock star. The most dramatic example being this GRD college in Coimbatore, but it wasn't the only one. Um, and that was <laughs> that was a little <laughs> uh, humbling for me, I guess. Uh, it helped to know that this wasn't just me; that this happened to other speakers when other speakers came. I hadn't I hadn't asked Ann and Lydia about that, but apparently this is just how the speakers are treated. And whether it's the hunger to learn about this issue and take action or whether it's just the welcoming cultural norm that is in India and and definitely in Nepal um I, you know I I we had big audiences everywhere we went tremendous and talk about the, some of the the differences in culture i mean you know you're used to speaking generally even though you've worked overseas in other areas, you know, generally to, uh, you know, Canadian or American audiences, the language is the same, the the stories are the same, you know, all of your metaphors, all of those things. <laughs> yeah. So so let's talk, you know, a little bit about how do you make the connection in a different culture? Well, sometimes I didn't. I mean, so not, frankly, sometimes my my material fell a little bit flat. Uh, the longer I did it, I think the, the better I got. So uh, when we were outside of Coimbatore, at this uh, small town that we drove out to, for example, in Tamil Nadu, which is one of the states in southern India, um, we had a translator. We had a lot of translators wherever we went. Um, but I, at the last minute, I'd sort of gauging the 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 level of English proficiency in the room. I decided to switch um, switch what I was going to do, and instead of um, this one particular program that we were doing we did a role play so uh again about the hair pulling and whatnot harassment on in public spaces what we did was um for these young people these girls and boys in tamil nadu we had them act out intervention when they saw so it was it was two classes so the first one was for adults and we got uh we listened to the women in the group and asked them to express what was was it that was troubling for them in terms of troubling is the wrong word <laughs> what did what did street harassment look like for them and what would they like men to do and so they said they would like men to uh, commit to speak out against it so all the men in the room we ended by speaking to or committing to speaking out against it so the next the very next uh um presentation was to students and a lot of the adults hung out for when the students came so Andy Diarment uh, my host from the consulate there in um Chennai, yeah in Chennai she agreed to be uh the harassee in the bus and I was the harasser and the I asked these boys to come up one at a time and practice intervening since they had made that commitment and so I was I was pulling her hair and the boy would uh, speak into the microphone and, like, sternly rebuke me and in Tamil. I had no idea what he was saying, but he would just be like, da 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 And then the, the audience would go nuts with applause. <laughs> and two of these young girls did the same thing. In one case, this, 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 this very small, had to have been 12 years old, girl with these, these intense eyes, like, stood up and stood right in front of me, and I was sitting down. So, like, she was slightly above me, got in my face with her finger in my face, and like yelled at me in Tamil, and the audience just went nuts. I have no idea what she said, but apparently it it was powerful and fantastic. 
and and you didn't need to know what she said. You you just knew you better back off at that moment. <laughs> I would have loved to have known what she said. I just didn't. <laughs> the, the the translator was getting water by then because he'd been working overtime. Uh, but he did sometimes like whisper in my ear. Uh, like for example, uh, there was one time when uh, Miss Lakshmi, uh, who's a victim of acid attacks, that uh, we were talking about uh, Linda and uh, you and I were talking about before the show. Um, um, Dr. Das, uh, Abhijit Das, brought her up on stage after a performance of Voices of Men because she had very kindly come into the audience. And um, she started speaking, and I didn't know what she was saying. So he whispered in my ear that what she was saying, because after Voices of Men, I asked the audience to commit, the, the men in the audience to commit to never uh, commit, condone, or remain silent about men's violence against women. So she was talking about all the men who had helped her, all the first responders when she had been attacked by acid. Uh, a lot of them were men, the men who worked for stop acid attacks. Um, Mr. Alok, uh, who, one of the, one of the uh, co-founders of stop acid attacks, and she was talking about all the, you know, the, even though men had committed this, this violence against her, this in, in, in intense violence against her, that she uh, had plenty of men in her life who were kind and who were supportive and how much she appreciated that. The You mentioned that you had met three women who were victims of acid attacks, and uh, as you mentioned, you and Linda and I were discussing that prior to the show, and you just seemed so moved by by all of them. Uh, share share a little bit more about these women, and, and maybe you can also help us to understand uh, what spurs these acid attacks. I mean, if you've got an organization called Stop Acid Attacks, Right. It sounds fairly common and fairly dire. What's behind all of this? Well, uh, this is one of the things I learned about uh, when uh, in India. I had known about acid attacks, having seen uh, documentary films about it and photos. But it's different to actually meet victims of acid attacks. So these these three young women and the staff that supported them, um, Lakshmi Rupa and Ritu, um, were were said yes to w- wanting to meet me, and the uh, Emily and Marjorie, the two consulate members uh, or embassy staff members, were in an embassy because it was because uh, it was in Delhi, and so we uh, we got to meet them and sit down with them and find out what their their lives are like. And uh, acid attacks apparently do happen in the United States, but it's just not thought of in terms of uh, I guess violent men as in the toolbox, and it is in India. So in um, uh, Lakshmi's case, what I read on her public Facebook page is that she was 15 years old and uh, had a, was over at a friend's house from school studying. The friend had a 32-year-old uh, brother, I believe, who then later texted Lakshmi saying, will you marry me? And she didn't respond to the text, and he texted again the next day, why didn't you respond to my text? And then attacked her with acid. You know, just thought this was, this was, uh, this was, and you ask what's going on in their minds. I think it's almost the ultimate in terms of men's uh, male privilege, men's self-righteous indignation over not having gotten the response from a woman or a girl that they wanted. Uh, some some girls and women are attacked by acid when they don't respond to being harassed on the street. If a guy's saying, "Hey, baby," and a woman ignores him. He thinks it's uh, right and just to then later sneak into her apartment, dump acid on her face, and and either kill her or cause her these life-altering permanent uh, damage. Now I'm starting to if feel that happened my own to me, I don't know out. if I would. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to put one foot in front of the other. And yet, for Lakshmi, uh, for Ritu, for Rupa. They're not only doing that, but they're speaking out against acid attacks in a very public way. Uh, Rupa is uh, is designing a clothing line. She's learned to be a clothing designer, and they had a, 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 a shoot for Cosmo, the India version of Cosmo, where all three of them modeled Rupa's clothes. Ritu, uh, formerly a, uh, a volleyball player, um, since one eye is damaged, she can't follow the ball anymore. Uh, can't play volleyball anymore, but she's uh, 
got this greeting card business where she hand makes her greeting cards and she gave me one of those greeting cards. It was such a good gift. And Lakshmi, as I mentioned, being this incredible public speaker um, on these issues where just impromptu in front of my whole audience just talked about uh, what how men had been helpful in her life. And if it were me, I'm not sure I'd, I'm not sure I'd be able to take leadership like that. But you talk about, again, the voice of leadership – um, this interview, if I want to dedicate it to anybody, I want to dedicate it to these three. I want to dedicate it to Ritu, Rupa, and Lakshmi, and I hope that they're listening. Yeah. Incredible stories, and uh, I'm with you. It, uh, I'm so amazed at the way in which they continue to to just move forward. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing fortitude. Ben, what did you notice, if, if anything, being in urban versus rural centers, um, were, were patterns of violence different? Were patterns of discrimination different? Or, or is it fairly consistent across the board? What did you learn about that? Well, uh, what the NGOs and the fe- uh, feminist activists uh, told me was that it is a bit different. And when you're rural, there is um, there are fewer resources. Um, there's more old school thinking, if you will, more belief in male supremacy. Um, and sometimes that's a stereotype, just like our stereotype that, oh, it's so much worse in India than it is in the United States. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's true. Sometimes India really has a lot going on that we don't. Uh, similar for rural uh, versus urban, this, uh, this group I mentioned in the, in the small town, Jivika, is doing such amazing things. But um, I think it's uh, the progress that's happened in terms of addressing gender-based violence has happened more in the cities than it has rurally. Uh, in Nepal, there are a lot of organizations, uh, Maiti, Nepal being the most well-known, that work to stop trafficking. So you know, girls in the villages are romanced by these uh, young men who come and say they want to marry them and who sometimes buy the girls from the parents and then take them to the city and where they're sold into sex slavery. actually saw a fantastic skit about this that these high school students in Kathmandu did, um, where this, this young man played a, quite a convincing Lothario that romances away this girl and actually then sells her into slavery. Mm. I want to give you a moment to, to just catch your breath, Ben, and remind <laughs> our callers and, and our listeners that... Um, you can call in if you have any questions, any comments for Ben. And yeah, the where are you at, callers? Up. Come on. <laughs> Give us a shout. Huh? Give us a shout. 310-982-4166. Let me repeat that number. 310-982-4166. And then please press the number 1 at the prompt, and uh, you will be talking to Linda, and she will let us know when, when you're available to come on and all those good things. So, yeah, come on in, share with us whatever you've got. And for those that are online with us and have logged in, feel free to chat and ask questions, anything that comes to mind. Because, uh, you know, what comes to mind for me, Ben, is this topic is just so huge. And I wonder, you know, how does this weigh on you? Uh, you, you can only do so much as a human being. Um, there's only so many areas we can focus on. Uh, do you ever get that sense of, like, it's not enough, or, or you know, how do you go about that? I get that sense all the time. <laughs> it's not <laughs> enough. I mean, especially considering what I mostly have done is um, the thing I bring to the table is comedy, is voices, you know, like talking mm-hmm. like Kermit the Frog and Elmo. You know, how is that going to end gender-based violence? How is that going to create equality and respect? Uh, and then I remember that I'm not alone, that this isn't just up to me, that I'm part of this international movement of women and men, and uh, that it, um, as Alice Walker said, uh, it takes uh, every small stone of activism that we have to build an edifice of hope, and sometimes our own own stones are to us small, uh, misshapen, their color seems off, they're singing comical and strange and presenting them our stones we uh it's a beautiful quote i feel like i'm getting it wrong presenting them we 
perceive our own uh, nakedness, but also the rightness of it. And even the smallest stone glistens with tears, but also with the light of being seen and love for simply being there. It's the beginning of uh, her book, Everything We Love Can Be Saved, Alice Walker. And I'm just trying to remember it from memory, but I try to remember that uh, my own small stone will not do this, but that fortunately I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And frankly, and- I would know the problem were still there. <laughs> it would still weigh on me, uh, even if I stopped doing this work. But this way I get to do something about it. And uh, hopefully it is helping. And, uh, you know, uh, if I, again, I'm, I'm excited to go back and hopefully I can do whatever I can to help um, the Lakshmis, the Ritus, the Rupas uh, of the world do, do their work. And uh, if I can even do that in the smallest bit, then I'm happy. Well, if, if, even if you feel you got that quote wrong, Ben, or, or messed it up a little, there, there's beauty in the mess of it and really the importance of, you're right, you know, just the one stone alone isn't going to do it. Yeah. And speaking of which, we, we have a chatter with a question, and uh, this comes back to really everybody being together and working together and uh, asking for a little more explanation about what you did in India. You know, was it workshops? Um, what was the objective of the State Department in, sen- in sending you in the first place? Yeah, sure, and, and thanks for your uh, text chat, uh, Melissa Gordon. Um, the State Department's objectives in sending me and bringing me uh, were s- specifically a grant that both India and Nepal wrote to the State Department in D.C. asking for a gender-based violence speaker to help them uh, build gender equity among youth. And they define youth as 20, 25 and under. So the sp- it, it was uh, I heard about this. Uh, maybe nine months ago, and then they had to decide whether they wanted me or not, and they they decided me, and I don't know why or how that process was. That's internal to the State Department. But what I told them that I had to offer was this play that I performed that I mentioned, Voices of Men, uh, which was you know mostly not that appropriate because it, its characters are Western characters, Rocky Balboa, Austin Powers, James Bond, and so forth. Uh, and but they did want that in some cases, and listeners who are curious about that can see clips at my website, voicesofmen.org. The other thing that I brought uh, was this interactive role play, Melissa, where I played an abusive boyfriend or husband, and then I worked with local uh, activists and actors, or just non-actors, just just people who cared about this issue. Uh, and Critica Lamsal was the young woman, for example, who played uh, Jen, my girlfriend, when I was in Kathmandu, and she did an amazing job. We performed this play a bunch of times together in English, and then uh, her um, her colleague Kripa is um, translating it into Nepali, and it's being translated in Hyderabad into Telugu, and uh, I think into Tamil as well in Coimbatore. So this interactive role play was the second thing, but then the, the sometimes I just gave a talk. Sometimes I didn't use interactive theater at all. I just gave a talk on stopping gender-based violence. And a goal of mine, which I told the State Department about, was to use my trip to provide visibility and shed some light on the work that women were doing. So that uh, the real experts, if you will, on gender-based violence in India, which is the uh, victims of that violence themselves and the activists that are spending every day working to stop that violence. If I could shed some light on what they were doing uh, by my presence there, then I tried to do that as often as possible. Does that answer your question, Ms. Melissa? And, uh, well, and she's actually responded just to say, uh, just fantastic, and, and sharing your work on the voice of, of the light of the of the work of women, shining the light of the work of women that uh, you were you were promoting and giving voice to, and within India, and also mentioning how impressive it is that other governments are reaching out to the U.S. government to to do these kinds of things. Yes, thank you, Melissa. Uh, what, what what the people who are applying though for the grant within the State Department are also. Uh, State Department employees in the United States. So it's not uh, the Indian government or the Nepali government, although 
um, the State Department employees do network with both governmental and non-governmentals uh, or groups in in making these. But these are goals within the U.S. State Department. You know, I've never been a diplomat. <laughs> I've never worked in an embassy. So this whole uh, uh, and you're welcome for the clarification. I'm glad somebody's texting. Thanks, Melissa. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm learning about all this stuff from all my hosts who are themselves diplomats. But they, they do a lot of progressive social change in the United States State Department. I'm just so excited that I am learning about it and I get to be a part of it. And I think it really speaks to well. And actually, this is uh, you know, thank you, Melissa, again for adding. Obama, uh, President Obama has recently said, when, you know, when there's trouble in the world, the world doesn't call Beijing or Moscow. They they still call the. I'm adding the still call the U.S. Hmm. because you know, in this world today, there are many people who see the role of the U.S. as as being diminished or you know, looking more inwards, et cetera. But the reality is, is that we have, and and you know, uh, the experience here obviously is about the U.S but many dedicated men and women in this world who are really seeing that we have the resources here to really help others abroad. Yeah. I tried to stay away from the whole white savior thing. <laughs> like That was actually a concern <laughs> of mine right from the beginning, that I would either be seen or cast in light of or would actually be sort of this imperialist, I know better than you Indians and Nepalese how to stop gender-based violence in your own country. So really kind of um, tried as best I could to shape this as a, a listening tour more than anything. And uh, and listen, I did. And, I, you know, as I have all of my life, uh, learned so much and was inspired so much by women and girls um, who were both victims of violence and also working to end that violence. And, again, I, I hopefully it has been useful to them to have me uh, come there and shine a bit of a spotlight on their work and, Hopefully it'll be useful to have me come back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I get the sense of from you, Ben, uh, and from the first time you were on our show as well, is that, yeah, you're not the imperialist white guy. And, and of course, when you walk into the room, maybe in, in another country, that may be the first impression for some people. But you yourself are such a uh, – you're, you're very deferential, is, is what I want to say about you, in terms of saying it – Women are the ones who are the heroes, are, are the ones who are doing the work, the hardest work around this. And really it's about me being there to say, I need to look at myself and what I've contributed in the past. Yeah. All men need to do this. And let's follow the lead of these women. It's not for us to take the lead necessarily. Yes, it's cur- yeah, absolutely. And I, I thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. And Melissa is also appreciating my humbleness. And i got to tell you, it's... It doesn't come naturally to me. It's uh, unfortunately <laughs> humility is a is a learned thing. I'm I'm an actor. I want all the spotlight to be on me, right? You know, uh, I I saw these big banners with my face on it, and I was like, this is you know this is great, and I could have just sort of reveled in that spotlight on me, but I you know that's that's not how social change is made. Um, so I I try as best I can, but it's a uh, I have to keep reminding myself, and fortunately, I have uh, people in my life who will also remind me if I forget <laughs> that the, the, the real experts are women and girls. If I start yeah. to take take up too much center stage, <laughs> and I imagine your dog Lufa too, when soccer or feeding, right? You know, hey, listen, what's that now? Uh, well, I was just saying, you know, I imagine your dog Lufa too. You know, is a is a constant reminder for you as well. It's like, hey, wait a minute, stop thinking about yourself. I've got to go for a walk. I need to be fed. You know, That's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, my Facebook friends know that I have the uh, most beautiful wife in the world and the cutest dog in the world, and that uh, my dog Lufa right here listening intently. No, she's not. She's watching squirrels out the window. Um, that she she demands the focus be on her, and rightfully so. <laughs> I want to come back then just a little bit to Melissa's original question around um, doing workshops, et cetera. Sounds like your audience was teenage to in their 20s, or was uh, it broader than that? Yeah. Well, it was the 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 um the grant that was written again by these State Department employees within India and Nepal uh, was for promoting gender equity among youth, among people under 25. Having said that, a lot of times my audiences were adults. Uh, one performance I had of Voices of Men was in this restaurant. It was all adults. Um, 
the colleges and high schools, of course, were the bigger audiences, and I think they were bigger partly because they had to be there, um, and those were uh, people under 25. So it really depended on the city and what what kind of a gig they could get. In Delhi, we had uh, this uh, uh, performance of Dr. Ram, or sorry, uh, Dr. Das, Dr. Abhijit Das, um, arranged at Hindu College. And that was a wonderful performance. Again, with the big banners, they did art on the sidewalk, you know, with like these red, <laughs> there was like this red phoenix bird woman figure that they were drawing on the sidewalk with, with, with chalk doing art in anticipation of the performance, and that was for college-age students. The auditorium, by the way, and you'll understand this maybe being in Mexico right now, the auditorium was not air-conditioned. So what we had there was about 500, 700 students in a 100-degree auditorium fanning themselves. And backstage, we were 120 degrees. (laughs) I'm 48 years old. (laughs) I was about to pass out. I don't think I could have gone on stage. But the assistant principal there in Delhi gave me this drink with, like, this brown sludge. It was the the most disgusting thing I'd ever drank. It, It tasted like brown sludge mixed with like a whole a half a cup of salt. And I drank it, <clears throat> and it was like Popeye's spinach. I was like, boom, and then I could go on stage. And I don't think I would have been able to do it otherwise. But those were all young people, and they, uh, you know, they, they braved the heat, and we all braved the heat as best we could. And a lot of those young people in Delhi, and some of them hopefully are listening right now, a lot of those young people are active in preparing for this international conference that I get to go to in six weeks. Terrific. I I am reminded of some business trips I used to do to the Philippines and waking up at about 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning to go for a run. And and, and even then experiencing humidity at probably 80 or 90 percent, but uh, it was the only way to do it. So, yeah, we get get double the challenges, the acclimation and uh, and then just learning uh, of the culture and everything else. Uh, Which leads me to, Ben, you know, you, you talked about this being a life-altering experience. You've mentioned some things around what you've learned, but if you if there was really one takeaway from this, what would it be from this experience? Um, I think that we are more alike than we are unalike. Uh, that gender-based violence in India is much the is much the same as gender-based violence in the United States, with a few like that pyramid that you you sent your. Uh, listeners to, which by the way is different than the one I was talking about, um, oh, uh, but it's okay. still it's still very interesting. This violence pyramid um, and the same concept uh, that that pyramid is the same, and that the 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 understanding of why is the same. That both in the United States, in India, and in Nepal, you can't have these overt acts of male violence against women without a culture that favors our gender. Uh, and without a culture of racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, ableism, classism, right? Uh, And with some specific differences, the manner of street harassment uh, being different in India and Nepal, uh, the acid burning being more common in India uh, than in the United States, um, uh, but that the the setup is, is, is much the same. And fortunately the ways to work against it. And, uh, you know, meeting Ritu, uh, meeting Rupa, meeting Lakshmi, meeting uh, Kritika, Kripa, Anuja, um, it's mostly young women. Uh, There were older women as well. It's incredible older feminist women. Uh, Archana Call comes to mind, uh, again, in Delhi, that meeting those women and men is what I've, I'm going to take from from it. And we are more alike than we are unalike, and I hope to see them again in just a few weeks. Mm, terrific. Ben, how do we follow you? How do we keep in touch? How can we get in touch with some of the different organizations um, that you have mentioned so far? Well, I am almost never on Twitter. But I have a Twitter handle. It's called <laughs> Feminist Ben. My, my my friend set me up on Twitter, and I think it's worth being on Twitter just to have the handle of Feminist Ben. Um, but uh, uh, the, folks can feel free to friend me on Facebook. Um, 
my, my name on Facebook is a bit of a complicated one. It's Ben Voicelift Atherton Zeman. Uh, the Voicelift is because when I'm not working to stop gender-based violence, I'm driving for a rideshare company called Lyft uh, in the Boston area. Mm. And my theme in my uh, – I'm a Lyft creative. Uh, some people who drive for Lyft do a creative thing with their car, and my Lyft creative is I speak in voices. So my passengers can be driven by somebody who sounds like me or by somebody who sounds like Elmo or Kermit the Frog. Uh, so that's a way to find me on Facebook, Ben Voicelift Atherton Zeman, or you can follow me on Twitter at Feminist Ben. Which, which is going to be your commitment now to tweet a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So we can all hear uh, okay. your message. Yeah. We'll say, yeah. <laughs> we'll say, all right. <laughs> I still don't know how to post photos. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We, we can get there together. <laughs> all right. Um, I have a comment here from, from Mel Dark Deer. And uh, Mel Dark Deer is saying, I think Mel! we could all. There you go. Hello, Mel. I think we could all use our example. Um, sorry, the, the scrolling, I, I need to just scroll back up here to find it. Okay, I think we could all use our example of focusing on the similarities of our culture and others rather than on the differences, and here, here to that. Here, here, and Mel is one of these women that I've learned from. I've had the, I've had the pleasure of knowing Mel for a couple of years. We both volunteer at the Falcon Ridge Folk Music Festival in Hillsdale, New York, and it's wonderful to see you here on the screen, Mel. <laughs> Terrific. And you are returning to India again, and I guess the best way to follow is, is again, on, on your Facebook page? That's correct. Yeah, terrific. And and uh, look forward to, to seeing and, and hearing and reading all about what's, um, what you're up to there. And um, as well, we'd like to, uh, as we're coming to our closing moment here, just do a little bit of self-promotion, if I may, for upcoming shows on the Voice of Leadership Network. And uh, also, just a last comment here from Mel Dark Deer. It's wonderful to be able to listen in, and, and uh, thanks, and thanks for the invite. So, Ben, you're you're touching people everywhere. Uh, your brand of of leadership, the passion you have for it, and the expression that you use through your your artistry, through your humor, uh, is really a gift to this world. So uh, you are the voice lift, and I uh, really want to thank you so much for coming back onto the show and, and for sharing with us. Well, Jeff and Linda, who is not only the producer, uh, who is the, the founder of The Voice of Leadership, I just want to thank both of you. Um, you know, if if the voices of uh, Ritu and Rupa, Lakshmi, and everyone else that I've met there uh, can be echoed through my voice and through my uh, telling of it, then uh, then it's a good day. And so pleased to come back on your show. Terrific. Thanks again. So now I'm going to move into a couple of uh, public service announcements. So for many of you, this might be the first time that you're actually listening to a Voice of Leadership radio program. And so the best way to follow us is in a couple of places. One is thevoiceofleadership.com, and there you can see a listing of all our shows. We have what we call sort of our parent show, which is a weekly show every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and that is known as The Voice of Leadership. And then we have five other satellite shows, including this one. But just want to tell you what's coming up on this Thursday's show. And we are going to have, um, as the guest, or Linda will have as the guest, author Amy Logan and director Nina Najad. And hopefully I've got that name correct. They worked on a documentary film together called The Price of Honor, about honor killing. So please join the Voice of Leadership on Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for that program. And, There's no uh, honor in killing. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely Sorry, not. Sorry, that's another. That's another. That's another difference. Pardon me. Is this, there's more frequent honor killings there. I'll stop interrupting now. Ah, uh, no, no, no. Quite all right. We we need to bring all of this to the floor. So that's that's great. Uh, another way you can follow us from the Voice of Leadership Network is on our Facebook page, The Voice of Leadership, and you can track where all of our programs are and when they're happening. And just to let you know that men, women, and other truths, conversations about sex, power, and intimacy, so what we're all about if you're listening to us for the first time, is really looking at relationships between men and women, communication, having the conversations that many have been too shy, fearful, shameful, whatever, of having, and we do this with respect and curiosity for an understanding of the opposite sex as well as same sex. 
And we'd love for you to join us. We've got a little bit of a, a lighter topic coming up on Thursday, October 13th. Sorry, let's make that Monday, October 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And we're going to do quotes from the trenches, and it's going to be all about dating. And if you were listening to my show back in July, you'll be familiar with Tara Cafell, the relationship fairy godmother, and she's going to join me for this discussion <laughs> on dating. So the, the lighter side of things. And as we I knew there was a relationship fairy godmother. <laughs> she's there, and she's great, and she'll help everybody. <laughs> all about dating. Tune in. We'll have some fun with that. We're going to have some interviews with some people who are deep in the trenches of dating right now, and I think it's going to be a blast. So thanks again, Ben. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today, and really pleased that you could. Um, if you have friends, etc., who were unable to listen to the show, you can just let them know. They can click on the very same link that you had through the Facebook promo, and the show is available within minutes of this particular one. So always available for you to listen in. So thanks again, everybody. Have a terrific day. And Ben, thank you again, and uh, look forward to hearing more about your travels back to India. Take care. I look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks.